Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. The Trump administration is on a campaign to undermine arms control and increase the threat of nuclear weapons. Just last week, President Trump announced his withdrawal from another arms control treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, accusing Russia of major violations. Uh, I think we have a very good relationship with Russia, but Russia didn't adhere to the treaty. So until they adhere, we will pull out. But there's a very good chance we'll make a new agreement or do something to put that agreement back together. In a memo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo accused Russia of exploiting the Open Skies Treaty to select targets for bombing, though he presented no evidence. The Open Skies Treaty is now the second major Cold War pact that Trump has killed after the INF, and a third major treaty is also in danger. New START is the last major limit on the nuclear stockpiles of the U.S. and Russia. It's set to expire in February, and the Trump administration so far has signaled that it will let it expire. All this comes as the Washington Post reports that Trump officials have discussed conducting the U.S.'s first nuclear test since 1992, though the plan was apparently rejected. And this comes as Trump's arms control envoy publicly said that the U.S. can outspend Russia and China on nuclear weapons into oblivion. That we uh, have a tried and true practice here. We know how to win these races and we know how to spend the adversary into uh, into into oblivion. Uh, if we have to, we will. But uh, we sure would like to avoid it. Daryl Kimball is director of the Arms Control Association and publisher of Arms Control Today. Daryl, welcome to Pushback. Let me start by asking you your reaction to the latest news. This headline from the Washington Post, Trump administration discussed conducting first U.S. nuclear test in decades. Well, this is shocking, but uh, not surprising from the Donald Trump administration. Um, what was reported by the Post uh, is that uh, in an interagency meeting uh, that held, was held about a week ago uh, on nuclear policy matters, uh, one of the participants, uh, I think likely from the White House itself, raised the possibility of a demonstration nuclear test explosion uh, for the purpose of uh, exerting pressure uh, to try to coerce the Russians and the Chinese to take different positions on uh, key nuclear policy issues. And uh, the Trump administration is trying to engage China in talks on nuclear matters, uh, will begin talks with Russia on nuclear matters. So the idea that the United States by conducting a nuclear test explosion and demonstrating that, yes, our weapons work, yes, they do, uh, could uh, compel or coerce the Russians or Chinese to take major unilateral concessions, I think is a, is a fantasy. And, and worst of all, this idea would literally uh, be the starting gun for the resumption of nuclear weapons testing, which we have not seen by the major nuclear powers since the, the mid 19. 90s. Uh, we have to remember a treaty was negotiated, led by the United States, uh, and concluded in 1996 to ban all nuclear weapon test explosions. So the only country that has conducted nuclear tests in this century is North Korea. So the idea that the United States, uh, one of the world's leaders, would break this taboo, uh, invite other nuclear-armed countries to begin nuclear testing, which, by the way, allows countries to 
perfect new warhead designs. Uh, that's what nuclear testing has essentially been about through the nuclear age is just, uh, it's a terrible idea. And thankfully, it looks as though a number of people in that room um, pushed back hard. This wasn't something that Donald Trump uh, was involved in the discussions for, um, thankfully. Uh, and I hope that this idea uh, is now dead. But it's shocking that uh, they they would even discuss this this option, um, which would make the world a hell of a lot uh, less safe. The test ban treaty that you mentioned, the U.S. helped negotiate that, but it hasn't still ratified it, right? Correct. I mean, the United States uh, was the first country to sign the CTBT in September of 1996. Bill Clinton signed it. Uh, he sought uh, Senate advice and consent on its ratification in 1999. Uh, there was a brief, very partisan debate uh, in October 99. Um, one of the chief opponents was uh, Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina. Uh, his former staff person, a guy named Marshall Billingsley, is now President Trump's chief nuclear envoy, just appointed uh, very recently. Uh, so it has not. The treaty has not formally entered into force. There are eight more countries that have to ratify: the United States, China, North Korea, Iran, Egypt, India, Pakistan, um, Israel, um, and so uh, it it is is still years away from formally entering into force. But there is a worldwide international monitoring system established to monitor compliance with the treaty that is working 24 7 it's working better than expected back in the 1990s so it would be extremely difficult for any country to conduct a secret nuclear test explosion without uh there being a high probability of detection but yet the 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 allegation that we read about in this washington post piece is that some trump officials said that that russia and china have carried out these tests Right. So some Trump officials seem to think that because they're concerned uh, that the Russians and the Chinese have perhaps maybe conducted very low yield nuclear test explosions uh, in, in, in some recent period, they have not said it gives the United States license to to do this. Uh, I mean, first of all, let's look at the, the allegation which first came out last year. Um, the allegation is that Russia has probably or perhaps engaged in activities that are not consistent with what's called the zero yield standard of the test ban treaty. That is, there can be no nuclear test explosion of any yield whatsoever. Uh, so the U.S. is now saying that we think that Russia may be involved in activities that are inconsistent with that standard. They are saying something similar about China. In a year since this this was first uh surfaced by uh, Trump administration officials that they've not provided evidence. They've also not explained what they propose to do in response. So in my view, if you're serious about a compliance problem with the test ban treaty, for instance, you, you propose a solution. You propose doing something about it. And the, there's an obvious solution, which is let's talk to the Russians and the Chinese about this. Let's propose mutual test site transparency measures. Let's send some of your technical people to our site, some of our technical people to your site. There is instrumentation that can make it very difficult for one side or the other to hide even an extremely low-yield detonation. You know, we're talking about a detonation in the pounds of 
of, of yield TNT equivalent. Uh, but what they were talking about, let's remember, in this meeting was not a tiny nuclear explosion, but the detonation of a U.S. nuclear warhead with hundreds of kilotons of yield, perhaps tens of kilotons, at least the size of a Hiroshima or a Nagasaki bomb, let's say. So that's a much different uh, different thing. So yes, there are these, these concerns. Um, we think there are some solutions to that that should be pursued that haven't been pursued, but that does not give the U.S. or some other country license to pop off nuclear test explosions to intimidate other countries. So let me ask you about another major development this past week with Trump announcing that he will pull out of the Open Skies Treaty with Russia. In a memo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that Russia has been using this treaty to take images uh, so that they can pick targets for what he said, quote, are Russia's conventionally armed precision guided weapons, unquote. What is your reaction to Trump pulling out of this treaty? And do you think this allegation that Russia is exploiting it to, to, to select bombing, bombing targets has merit? Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit and explain what the Open Skies Treaty is and what it's for. And, and, and then that gives you the context for Mike Pompeo's um, uh, spin on this, on this uh, subject. So Open Skies is a treaty that was put in place in 1992, 34 countries uh, are party to this treaty, the United States, Russia, and almost all of our European allies inside NATO and also outside of NATO. And the purpose was to help keep the post-Cold War peace, to make sure that the Russians knew uh, what the NATO bloc uh, was doing with respect to its military activities. The NATO bloc knew what the Russians were doing with respect to their conventional military activities. Uh, and it allows for um, unmanned uh, surveillance flights over one another's territories. You have to notify the other side of where you want to go. You've got to file a flight plan. Uh, if the United States were to fly over Russia, which we have done hundreds of times, just tell the Russians, this is where we want to go. Russian personnel would be on our aircraft and vice versa. Uh, so the purpose of this is to make sure that neither side can be engaged in military activities that might surprise the other side. Um, the United States and Russia, we have to remember, also have very sophisticated uh, satellite capabilities. Uh, that's how the Russians have identified targets for nuclear warheads, for anything else that they're, they're thinking about with respect to a major conflagration with the United States. The open skies flights are designed to deal with real-time uh, issues like a military exercise uh, or troop movements. Um, and uh, it, it also helps those countries in Europe who don't have sophisticated satellite capabilities like Finland and Ukraine. It helps them understand what the Russians are doing. So this is a net benefit. So what the Trump administration has done is they've argued that, you know, we, the United States, don't need this, this information because we've got satellites. The Russians uh, are looking at our, I don't know quite what he's talking about, our dams, um, our military facilities. That's what this treaty is supposed to do. We shouldn't be afraid of that because we can do the same for them. And this comes as there is a lot of speculation about New START and whether or not Trump plans to kill that treaty. It's the last remaining 
limit we have on the nuclear stockpiles of the U.S. and Russia. What do you think uh, is the uh, prospect right now of Trump renewing New START? And, and talk to us a bit about why it's such an important treaty. Well, as you said, New START is uh, the last remaining treaty that limits the world's two largest arsenals, the United States and, and Russia. Uh, it requires both countries to keep their strategic, that is their long-range uh, nuclear arsenals uh, below 1,500 uh, warheads each, uh, no more than 700 delivery vehicles, meaning the bombers uh, and the missiles on land and on subs. Uh, and it also puts in place a very rigorous uh, on-site monitoring and information exchange system to make sure that neither side can exceed those, those limits. So it has been working for a decade. The United States State Department confirms that the Russians are complying and vice versa. Uh, U.S. military and intelligence officials support this treaty because it provides predictability about what the Russians are doing and the Russians like it because it provides predictability about what the Americans are doing and what they're not doing. So it's working and the Trump administration has, um, they have not said what they want to do with this treaty. It can be ex extended by a period of up to five years by mutual agreement by uh, the two presidents. And February 5, 2021 is the expiration uh, date. So uh, what Trump is, is, is saying and what his, his spokespersons are saying is, we may not extend this treaty uh, and we won't extend this treaty if the Russians and the Chinese do not engage with us in negotiations on a new arms reduction treaty, a new treaty that uh, limits Russia's tactical nuclear weapons, the shorter range nuclear weapons that are not covered by the strategic arms reduction treaty. Uh, and we're not going to extend you start unless Russia convinces China to get involved in a trilateral nuclear arms reduction process. Now getting China involved in nuclear arms reduction is a good thing uh, in general and principle. They have by comparison, about 300 nuclear weapons, the U.S. and Russia each have about 4,000 each. Uh, and as I said, about uh, 1,500 or so deployed at any given moment. Um, but the problem is this administration, in the time that's left before a new start is going to expire, is simply not capable of negotiating a complex and ambitious new agreement uh, in the time that's left. And by the way, the Chinese say, we don't want to sit down and talk with you so long as the U.S. and Russian nuclear arsenals are so much larger than ours is. It's 10 times larger than the Chinese arsenals. So the logical thing to do, uh, which this somewhat illogical administration has not um, decided to do, is to say, We'll take up your offer at Russia to extend by five years. Putin has offered to extend unconditionally by five years. That will provide time uh, and the right environment for further discussions with Russia on other issues like tactical nuclear weapons and perhaps with China, if we can convince the Chinese to sit down with us about uh, an arms control approach. So the administration is taking an illogical approach here one that's not realistic in terms of timing. Um, and they seem to, once again, like the threat to renew nuclear testing, 
um, they seem to be trying to uh, coerce the Russians and the Chinese to do the Trump administration's uh, bidding to, to, to make unilateral concessions on the basis of this threat not to extend the New START Treaty. To me, this is not smart negotiating. It also risks American international security um, through the START Treaty on this extremely, extremely low probability opportunity to get a new treaty with the Russians and with the Chinese. So what do you think is the real agenda here on the part of Trump? You, you mentioned uh, Marshall Billingsley, who made this comment recently that we can spend, that we can outspend Russia and China uh, into oblivion on a new nuclear arms race. And he, as you said, was an aide to Senator Jesse Helms, who fought basically arms control treaties as like his, as one of his main passion projects back when he was in the Senate. So what is the attitude of the group around Trump and what do you think their real aims are in killing treaty after treaty when it comes to arms control? Well, that's a tough question because I don't see a lot of logic here. I don't see a coherent strategy. And, um, you know, we have to remember that the Trump administration uh, has had a lot of turnover uh, on its uh, various agencies on the National Security Council, um, to the extent that they do have a strategy, the 2018 Nuclear Posture Review, which is the main official document about the United States nuclear policy, it says very little about arms control. It basically says uh, the United States will remain open to effective, verifiable arms control when opportunities arise. Nothing was put forward. So here we are late in the game, three and a half years in. Uh, an envoy has been for arms control has been appointed. Uh, the first discussions about nuclear arms control matters with the Russians may be taking place in the next few weeks between Billingsley and his opposite number, Deputy Foreign Minister Ryabkov from Russia. Uh, it's very late in the hour. I think that they are very much improvising. I think they are um, rejecting ideas and initiatives and treaties that the the previous administration, the Obama administration, negotiated and put in place. Remember, the Trump administration pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, even though the Iranians were complying with all of the nuclear limits. Um, and so Trump is seeking a, in his mind, a bigger, better deal than Obama had with not just the Russians, but with the Chinese. So, and also part of their their mentality is um, that uh, if we threaten to get the Russians and the Chinese into an arms race, they will back down. Um, we can outspend them and we can get them to agree to some sort of arrangements on our terms. That is a very risky approach. It didn't work in the past. And right now we're already spending uh, – tens of billions of dollars to maintain and upgrade our existing nuclear arsenal. Over the next 30 years, the current plan is to spend $1.7 trillion on nuclear weapons. The Russians and the Chinese spend a lot too, but not quite that much. We're in the middle of a, an economic depression, dealing with a pandemic. Uh, this is not the time to be threatening to get into a costly arms race when you can prevent 
such uh, an outcome by simply agreeing to extend New START by five years and pursuing serious negotiations with the Russians on the tough issues that we should be talking with the Russians about and eventually with the Chinese. Well, speaking of China, uh, in its recent budget requests and a recent testimony, the White House to, to Congress, the White House has signaled that it plans to deploy ground-based missiles to, uh, near China that it previously wasn't uh, allowed to deploy because of the INF Treaty, which the Trump administration also killed. Now, that is not specifically a nuclear issue, but you know, further militarization with these types of missiles, ground-based missiles, is dangerous in itself. What do you make of the Trump administration's moves towards China in the aftermath of pulling out of the INF Treaty? Well, I think it tells us something about why it did not try as hard as it could have and should have to preserve the the INF Treaty. I mean, the INF Treaty from 1987 eliminated uh, something like 2,900 nuclear-armed intermediate-range missiles uh, that were threatening our European allies and that were threatening Russia. It helped end the Cold War. Uh, it has kept these types of missiles out of uh, Europe and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, so when the United States did not, I think, you know, pursue every avenue it could have to, to uh, bring Russia back into compliance, um, because Russia conducted tests of a, a ground launch missile in excess of one of the range limits, uh, I think what they had in mind was, okay, if this treaty is gone, it frees us up to pursue these kinds of deployments against what we see as our new adversary down the road, the Chinese. So uh, the idea is to deploy ground-based uh, intermediate-range missiles. Uh, that means between 500 and, and, and 5,000 kilometers uh, range. Uh, around the periphery of, of China, uh, places perhaps like Guam, to counter the Chinese intermediate range and medium range ballistic missile force, which is based in China, which is designed to defend China from outside uh, threats. So if the United States does this in future years, and this is years away in my estimation, uh, what is China going to do? China is going to respond with uh, an opposite and equal reaction. It's going to increase its ballistic missile force. This is not going to solve a problem. It's going to exacerbate a problem. Uh, it's going to increase tensions. And it may increase tensions with our allies because those allies may, who may host these missiles or we might ask to host these, they're going to become uh, you know, the, the, the target set for uh, China's missiles in in some sort of future conflict. So once again, I mean, this is the wrong track to go down. Um, but this is the mindset of those who are advising the president um, at the present time. Daryl Kimball, director of the Arms Control Association and publisher of Arms Control Today. Thanks very much. Thank you.